began to Back to the Future Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie Back to the Future Part 2, one self-protecting minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Nick Menez in the news. And joining us today for the start of our two-week-long Minute Family All-Star Week from uh, Assembling the Avengers, Derek and Ellie, welcome. Thank Hi, you. thank Hi. you. Uh, so today we are going back to Minute uh, 86, which begins with uh, Marty asking for clarification about uh, what a paradox is. <laughs> and... Ends with uh, Marty noticing sandbags above uh, above the heads of 3D skinheaded matches. Um, so uh, so yeah, there's actually um, there's a lot of really fun stuff in this. The first thing that I noticed is uh, while Marty's talking to Doc over the walkie-talkie um, about how. Uh, <laughs> them stopping that them them beating up his other self on stage could cause a paradox which that could control that could destroy the universe um while that's happening over his shoulder you can just see george and lorraine just getting down oh, it's oh so, yeah it's so cute it's so <laughs> great. i had to make a note leah thompson just looks so cute dancing in the background with clearly not crispin glover it's, yes it's so delightful he's having a ball I mean, I would be too if I was not dancing with Kristen Glover. <laughs> <laughs> or if I was dancing with Lorraine Thompson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah, with Leah Thompson. Yeah, absolutely. Thompson. Yeah, I, I know you guys um, were, were pretty particular or are pretty into the shoegazing at the beginning of this film. But yes. uh, man, Leah, Leah Thompson brought it. She is, she is just a gorgeous young woman in these movies. And she, and she just, she looks so cute. She's having so much fun. She is. She is. I mean, because she doesn't. She doesn't have as much to do in the sequels as mm-hmm. she does um, in the in the first movie because that's I think that's probably what's most unfair to to Leah Thompson in these sequels is that Biff got to be the villain of this movie he got so much more to do in these sequels right. and she got kind of you know shortchanged and I wonder if a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, Crispin Lover was you know a jerk and didn't jerk. come yeah. back for the sequels and it yeah. kind of screwed her over, you and know? It's, right. And it's a real shame because, uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's kind of maybe on the, it, it was a, it was a blind spot, I guess, for Bobby Z and Bobby G that, you know, L- Lorraine and Leah Thompson's performance was such a big part of why the first one was so funny and, you know, different and, 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 you know, so, so much fun. And, yeah. and it, it does put a damper on the fun when, you know, I mean, and even when you do see her in the movie, she's like this depressing, like aging, like sad alcoholic, which is like, okay, that's that's okay, okay, DC films, like that 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 wasn't <laughs> it wasn't exactly what I wanted, but okay, <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's nice just to see her smiling and dancing, and um, and it's and it's especially fun because we didn't really get to see them dance like that in the first movie. We saw that's them. True slow dance but when we got to johnny be good we didn't really show them much yeah cameron uh, was all about fox at that point and and right right so right but i feel like uh we get a sense here that like george and lorraine actually liked each other mm-hmm. like it wasn't mm-hmm. just this um you know circumstance of them falling in love like the first time or even in this this new way but 
that they genuinely do enjoy each other's company. Right, yeah. <laughs> and and I don't think we get a lot of views of that earlier because it's from very much Marty's point of view and you never think of your parents like that, but it was really sweet because they do look really in love and that mermaid tail is pointing right to them. So you know, <laughs> yeah. right there. Yeah, it's actually a pretty and good shot composition when you think about it. It really oh, is. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, Dean Cundy. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, that was, that was actually one thing I wanted to talk about a little bit later in the minute is the way the the camera um, going going into uh, Marty tracking up to the stage and then seeing the sandbags and and how the camera tracks down to the three thugs, and mm-hmm. it's all just it's it's very it, it's almost basic because it's it's absolutely leading the audience's eye, but it also puts us directly in Marty's shoes. We are seeing exactly what he sees when he sees it, and it's just mm-hmm. it's really wonderful uh, shot composition and uh, direction. It's it's uh, and it, and this has come up a lot and and sometimes it's come up as a as a negative to the sequels and sometimes it's come up as a positive. Here I think it's a positive, but it's a very cartoony moment yes. because you have you have these three you know what are basically they're they've basically become the weasels and Roger Rabbit <laughs> and and they you have so they have these three cartoon characters and Marty is trying to figure out how to take them out. And it's very much of, uh, hmm, how can I do this? Let me put this together. Mm-hmm. And the shots are being, you know, composed in a way that it is very much leading the audience in the way that a cartoon leads like a child right. to to how uh, Wiley Coyote is planning on taking out the Roadrunner. Um, right. It's know. like, you know, cut to the anvil, then pan up to the string and then like zoom over right. to the Roadrunner running towards the anvil. Exactly. And I would agree exactly. that in this particular case, it's actually a positive. I kind of feel like, for better or for worse, and I'm sure this has come up in the podcast before, that uh, Back to the Future 2 is definitely built more for a, a children's audience than the first one was. But, I mean, I saw it when I was eight years old, and it totally worked for me. I saw it in the theater, and it's just – it's mm-hmm. it's exactly that kind of shot that that, that allowed an eight-year-old me to, to put it all together. It's It, it worked really well, and I, and I think it holds up even now. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does. Um, so we also have this, uh, this short little scene, uh, uh, done in one, just like still shot, um, which something that we notice a lot going through these movies now is that there's a lot of scenes that are just one or two shots and that's it. Very little coverage, um, in general. And, uh, yeah, you just have this one shot of Biff waking up, asking where he went, uh, the guy in the hat and then running (laughs) off. And I and I love I love the guy. What what did we find out his name was? Lester. It was Lester. Lester, right? So Lester, Lester, um, <laughs> Lester says, "I think he took your wallet." And he, so that's what he shouts at him. Yeah. And what I love that I've never ever noticed before is that Biff kind of looks back and then checks his back pocket. <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Uh, did he did he take my wallet it's so you, you want to know if it was directed or if that was just a little bit of tom tom Wilson magic but it, it works yeah oh it's so good and then you get the great where he kind of looks not into the camera but like someone behind the camera and it's like i think he yeah. took his wallet i think he took his wallet <laughs> it's, it's a great running gag it really works um yeah. To, oh yeah to pull, to pull that along absolutely this and he had one that, that random character squinty side eye where he's like I think he took his wallet. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's almost cartoony, but it it works in the context of the world they've built. You can always tell a good storyteller in how they treat the minor characters in their story, mm-hmm. and 
I I mean I mean I I I love filmmakers that even if you're a day player with two lines or one line they're still able to establish like character or point of view and perspective and you know you're that that actor isn't just a meat puppet you know what I mean I would argue that this it's it's funny that we have you guys on for this because I would argue that this one this one joke about the wallet thing is, is very much in it's probably more than any other joke in in this movie, possibly in the trilogy, it's the most sort of mundane joke in a in a in a extraordinary situation, which is a total Joss Whedon move. Absolutely. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. That is breaking. Yeah, it's it's absolutely his move of just like, let's talk. We're 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 talking about about saving the world and all of these things. But let's make fun of this guy for being caught playing video games. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> Yeah. at his desk and it's you know? and, and it's so and, and and not to not to have this conversation but i guess since we are talking to the you know avengers minute uh you yeah. know there's been a lot of uh let's be extremely light and say contention uh between uh you know dc fans and uh film critics uh mm-hmm. that's been going on in the world of pop culture because you know suicide squad was kind of a dumpster fire but it was it was it was it was it was a fun it was i mean i i had fun watching most of it Right. But, you know, you watch you watch Captain America, the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. and, you know, there's that part where the Falcon is carrying Steve and he's like, man, you're heavier than you look. And he's like, well, I had a big breakfast. Yeah. And yeah. it just it that half a second just does more to humanize him than like all nine hours of the ultimate edition of Batman v Superman. Absolutely. Yes. All their talk of, you know, of, of, of unilateral decision making and power corrupting. Absolutely. There's never a moment where Superman's just like, oh, man, my shoulder hurts or like, oh, boy, I, I, I really need to take a nap like there. It, and, and it's it's the little moments like that that really connect audiences to these to these stories and these movies way more than the visual effects and way more than the big the big action scenes. to be totally fair though bruce wayne does talk a lot about how old he's getting and how much everything hurts <laughs> sure and how and alfred really wants him to breed right uh, <laughs> Al- alfred is probably the most real oh, completely re- fully realized character in batman versus superman because he does have a goal and a motivation and even though he doesn't succeed in that goal he doesn't talk bruce out of being batman he continually <laughs> right. pesters him about it so you at least know his motivation he has he's my here, favorite line in the movie which is uh, which is after doomsday is attacking and batman's like what's happening out there alfred and jeremy iron just kind of takes a minute and he's like how best to describe it and then it's just <laughs> <laughs> uh that's because uh, I love Ben Affleck. I think Ben Affleck's a, a great actor and a phenomenal director, but Jeremy Irons can act circles around him any day of the week. I'm mm. excited to see. I'm excited to see. Uh, I, I hope I hope Affleck is able to bring Irons back to whatever his Batman movie ends up being. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> back on, yeah, back on back on target. Um yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's. I think it's a really great joke, the the wallet thing, um, and it's and it's especially surprising because we thought we got the joke, um, you know, a, a minute ago or a couple of minutes ago, where, you know, when Marty runs away from him, he says, "Did you just take his wallet?" I think he just took his wallet. Yeah, yeah. And then and then we we get it, we get the call back. So like we get the same line. <laughs> In different variations, like four or five times, and it never stops being yeah. funny. And he's it's just basically such an interesting, a running gag. Yeah. Yeah. And he, it's such an interesting actor, too, that he just he sells it. 
Yeah, yes. totally. It, I really feel like if you'd gotten somebody who didn't commit to the bit, it wouldn't have worked nearly as well. But like I say, that that turn with the weird squinty eyes and just that that really he he wants you to know if if, if that wallet turns up missing, he pointed it out. It was him. This guy yeah. <laughs> discovered it. The world will know that Lester figured out that, that wallet is missing. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's it's like that, and and I, I guess I'm just thinking about the Avengers now. But it's like that cop that sees Captain America. Yes, you know I mean? <laughs> he, he goes on, he goes on a little five second journey. Yes, where yeah. he goes from doubting Captain America to like, okay, we're following this guy, and like, <laughs> and it's it's just a great moment. Yeah. Um, so then we go back inside uh, inside the dance, and Marty is trying to to make his way toward the stage. And uh, and he and he watches himself play, and he gives <laughs> he gives himself that little that little approving nod, like oh yeah, not bad, is. exactly. And and it is. It's not oh god, I am such a good guitar player. It's, yeah, that's not bad. I guess I guess that's pretty good. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's 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 a little bit of mugging on on Michael J. Fox's part, but it's, yeah. again, it's delightful, and it just mm-hmm. it, it it brings a smile to your face. It's that's one thing that I think uh, Michael J. Fox just does as an actor is he's he's got that such just a sweet boyish relatable face that he'll do something like that, and you're like, yeah, that's cute. I like that. I yeah. Like yeah, I mean, to bring it back to a comic book place for a second, we've said on this show multiple times since since last season, since covering the first movie, that uh, it would have been amazing to have a Spider-Man movie in the 80s with Michael J. Fox as Peter Parker. Absolutely. Because um, he just, he would have nailed it. Oh, yeah. he He's got yeah. Parker written all over him. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, d- d- despite the fact that, you know, he was he was more of a Flash Thompson and family guys, or family ties. Uh, right. <laughs> he he would definitely he he definitely has that that boyish geeky charm that I think would mm-hmm. possibly have excelled as a Peter Parker for sure. Oh yeah. Um so one of the things that actually caught me off guard during this minute is uh the the, the 3D skinhead and matches they all show up at the at the one end of the of the stage mm-hmm. and uh as Marty is going to the other side of the stage uh, to figure out what he's going to do, we see them search around and pick up like makeshift weapons. Yeah, which I'm just like, are are you guys are you guys planning on murdering <laughs> Calvin? Cl- like, are you just going to straight up murder him? Yeah, he's like picking one of them picks up a mallet. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, and then, but once they've got him, they just start kind of tapping along with the beat. Like, man, we're going to beat this guy's head in, but we can't deny he's got talent. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're going to have no problem uh, kicking the shit out of him once right. he uh, starts Once he starts showing off at the end of the song um, where everybody freaks out because this is 1955 and they're not ready for that. <laughs> uh, at that point, the audience might actually be on their side. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They could just start like a riot. Uh, it's entirely possible. <laughs> the Hill Valley's first ever rock and roll riot. <laughs> yeah. He dated Woodstock uh, by what? Five, ten years? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fourteen. Okay. <laughs> God, my Marty goes older. back to uh, 1985 to discover that rock and roll music is outlawed and he yeah. lives in the town from Footloose. Oh, that's like a, an Army of Darkness style <laughs> ending right there. That's kind of perfect. Yeah. <laughs> you maniacs. <laughs> <laughs> I slept too long. Oh, God. <laughs> oh man. Um yeah, so that's all I've got I think as far as notes for the actual minute. Do you guys have anything else? 
I was just going to ask, I mean, we, we talked about it a little bit before with uh, Marty, like acknowledging himself play and that it was good. If um, that was like just a slight little nod back to like in the first movie where he's so unsure about himself as a musician and he's so oh. nervous about sending like his audition tape and getting rejected in that, uh, just not having that confidence in that. Um, I mean, only Marty McFly has the opportunity to watch himself live, like not <laughs> through a recording or listening to a tape, but actually seeing yeah. himself live and internalizing, I think a little bit that I am a good musician I'm a of, performer. that I, I could be really good and bring rock and roll to the masses and that kind of stuff. But, yeah. And that's what I saw. Cause I had literally never noticed that nod before um, preparing for this, but that's what yeah, I thought of. Yeah, it is like a really, really cool, subtle bit of of kind of showing how much his character has grown in like the day of of, <laughs> of, of, of life that he's lived. He's had a lot of life lessons. Yeah. This time. Uh, my only other note was, what the hell is that little half door he has to crawl up into to get on top of the stage? I know they had to actually build a stage for the the actors to be on, but it's like they they cut it halfway through an actual door and he kind of has to lift himself up and through like a little cubby hole. Is that like, is that normal for stage design? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Stages I've been on. Okay. Y'all? Yeah, there's like a little, yeah, like a little Marty. It's like a little Marty sized door. Well, I think, <laughs> well, well, I think what it is, is it's not, it, it it's an actual door and what happened was they built the stage off of the door. Right. And so they, they just, they, it was probably just a door into, I don't know, something, something else. Maybe the stage, maybe there wasn't like a, a, a lifted stage, you know, before. Right. Um, maybe the stage is like somewhat new and rather than rebuilding a different door, they just use the same door. I don't know. Slip in and out. It is, it is a weird it's a it's a strange situation. <laughs> Definitely, I don't. That's really interesting. Huh. And that's that's one that's never occurred to me until watching it just for right. the minute because it, it it is kind of because he you know he 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 hauls himself up and stands up and it, it seems like such a natural fluid motion. But then you're like, why is there only half a door there? Yeah, you don't want just like anyone there, so it's not a publicly <laughs> accessible area, right? Right, team. it's a cool little escape route. <laughs> yeah, he's it's gonna, almost like Harry Potter's cupboard. Later, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, so tell us, uh, Derek and Ellie, tell us about assembling the Avengers. Uh, well, it's our podcast where we started. How did you do we decided it? to start with um, with Marvel's The Avengers as opposed to something, say Iron Man, because honestly, I'm I'm a big comic book guy. I've been reading comics for more than easily more than half my life and to me the avengers was the first movie to come to really it's the best superhero movie we've gotten so far still it captures the characters uh it brings them to screen it brings all of these disparate threads together and i wanted to break it down and talk about it and i realized that the best way to talk about it would be to talk about it with someone who came at the material first from the movies Instead of yeah. from the comics, which is why I mm -hmm. talked to my friend Ellie. I've known Ellie yes. for 20 years now. Yes. Tried to get her to read comics throughout most so of her childhood. So many times. So <laughs> many times. And I said no. And she said no. And then. To my defense, he never explained that Captain America looked like um, Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. 
And so <laughs> why would I care? <laughs> and once that was explained, then I was on board. Right. So, so um, and, and she, she has a real passion for the, the material and for the characters as well, but she comes at it from a completely different angle. So I thought that would be an, a fun uh, contrast and dichotomy to talk about this this more or less beloved uh, film, even though it's a recent film, it's still got a lot of of almost instant acclaim. Uh, come at it both from the view of longtime comic continuity nerd and uh, someone who's coming at it from a much more fresh but nonetheless fanatical uh, angle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's important. I think so often uh, there is a bit of a there's a bit of snobbery. When it comes to like, oh, you only know, like, like, of course, like if you were comics are the only medium that actively wants you not to read them, I think. Right. It's, <laughs> it's entirely true. And it's 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 a stigma that I, I personally try to fight against because but it is. Yeah. Comics overall are very, very inclusive. It's definitely a clubhouse. And the, the more you try to show off, the more you just, you know, kind of pin yourself in. And I want to do I definitely wanted to break away from that. Uh, comics are for everybody. These characters are awesome. We should we should love the fact that people are finally interested in all these cool things we've known about for years. Mm-hmm. This is the way yeah. I look at it. Anti hipster, right? <laughs> On that. Oh yeah, yeah. No, that's. I mean, that's that's what that's what geek culture is supposed to be. Right. Um, it's just not always, uh, which is which is unfortunate. Some sometimes it gets uh, it gets hipstery in that sort of. Um, and like a, from a revenge standpoint, like, right. oh, you kept us out of things. Well, now we're going to keep you out of things. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, well, you it, could just let them in and teach them a lesson that way. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. like, those, like those jokes you read on Tumblr where it's like, oh, you like Black Widow? Name five Black Widow comics like and their authors and writers. You know, like, it's like you have to prove that you like a thing, which is. I don't even think there are five Black Widow comics. Oh, well, damn it. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, yeah, that would be, that's the worst part of about uh, that character, unfortunately. But yeah. there's been, you know, 19 Spider-Mans and they've all been written by Dan Slott since like 1935. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and you guys are just about out of act one, I think. <laughs> Right. Uh, we're we're into Act Two. Uh, we yeah. we just uh, posted our. Uh, I think this sixty. Yeah, we're, we're we'll be week. up to si- we'll be up to sixty this week. So we're about an hour in. Uh, oh, okay. Loki's been captured. Uh, the Avengers are starting to assemble. We at least have all our principal players on screen finally. Finally. Yeah, you yeah. just had Thor, right? He just showed yeah. up like a yeah. couple weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. Which again, you know, it's so funny to talk about a movie like this because. Nominally, you introduce all of your characters in the first like twenty minutes. It's it's kind of going against you know traditional screenwriting tropes to introduce a character as important to the plot as Thor forty some odd minutes into yeah. the movie. But mm-hmm. Avengers makes it work, and it's 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 due to the structure of the film. Definitely. Well, yeah. and it, and it and it you know it allows uh, you to sort of fold in the uh, just as you get used to the interaction between two characters, they fold in a third. And just right. as yes. you get uh, used to the interaction of those three, they fold in a fourth. And right. and it just keeps doing that until you get all of them. And I think that's how that movie works to naturally, uh, you know, naturally play with those characters uh, throughout the rest DC of the movie. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, one thing I talked about a few weeks ago on the show, uh, I think when we were introducing Cap, was the movie also, it builds power scale as it goes up. Because we start out talking to, you know, or, or seeing Fury and Hawkeye 
and and that's kind of your base level humans. Then you introduce Black Widow, who's base level human but super spy. Then you go to uh, Hulk, who is the tank. Then you go to Cap, who is the strategist. Then you go to Iron Man, or no, you go to Iron Man, who is the tech genius. Then you go to Cap, who's the strategist. Then you introduce Thor, who's basically all of those things plus the hammer, but the movie kind of ignores all of it, but the hammer. <laughs> and it just it, it, it it's a natural cone of of it. It's, the movie is brilliant at building. It builds tension. It builds character, and it builds up to this climax. And it just yeah, and, all and escalation. It's, it, and it can be so it's such an educational movie from a from a structure standpoint. I mean, like there I think I think it'd be fair to say that no other movie has affected where we are right now in blockbusters over these past four years than the Avengers. I mean, everyone's oh, yeah. kind of been trying to, you know, it, it, it's almost like the secret formula for Coke, you know, right. and it's, yeah. well, how do we how do we make something that fun and that smart and that and that open and, and that looks that effortless. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. and then you, and then you watch even, even even Marvel themselves haven't really succeeded. You know, like they they no. did Avengers sequel, and it was nowhere near as good as the first Avengers movie, exactly. and much more and, labored. Yes. Right, and much, much more, more labored. labored. And then Civil War, I think, is is the only movie we've gotten that's gotten close. Or Guardians yes. to a certain extent, even though it's kind of sure. trying to do different things, but. You know, and then Guardians watch- is to Avengers what Force Awakens is to Star Wars, though. For me, I love Guardians of the Galaxy. Don't get me wrong, but it's also mm-hmm. Avengers in space. Mm-hmm. It's it's the same basic concept. Yeah. yeah, and then you, and then you know, to 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 go back to another team building movie that I, I think is kind of like you know, Suicide Squad was sort of the the most Marvel esque movie that that we've had because it is it does have fun and it does have jokes and characters, but what they I don't I think what the movie failed to learn from the Avengers is, is the, is the structure. I mean, we're introduced to Deadshot like four different times. Right. Uh, yes. It's ridiculous. Well, that movie, that movie is literally just like the movie equivalent of someone running around trying to plug leaks that are springing <laughs> up in their boat before it sinks. And it um, wants to be Guardians of the Galaxy so bad, you guys, so bad. So bad. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, yeah, so, uh, so yeah, you guys should definitely check out Assembling the Avengers. Where can you, where can people find your show? Uh, we are on the Night Nerd Network. So if you look for the Night Nerd, you'll find us, a daily podcast. Um, we are on SoundCloud and we finally, after a lot of trepidation, are now on iTunes. So if you look up, uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, the Night Nerd, you'll find us, you'll find my other show, Blah Blah Comics, Blah Blah Curse Words, which is definitely the R-rated podcast of the network. And then another daily show that our producer Lance does called the Night Nerd. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thanks for having us. It's been a blast. All right. Well, uh, we will be back tomorrow with Minute 87. But in the meantime, you can go to our website, DuelingGenre.com, or you can check out our our other podcast, The Doctor's Companion, our Doctor Who podcast that we do with our co-host, Cassandra Fredrickson, uh, in which we talk about every Doctor Who story one doctor at a time. We're now uh, somewhere in the middle of uh, the second story of every doctor. Um, So uh, go – Go check that out, and then we're gonna be we're gonna start the third story of every doctor in about a month, month and a half, something like that. So, um, so go check that out, and then of course, uh, Geek by Night, our original audio drama about uh, five nerdy friends who run a comic book store together and also have superpowers. 
Uh, so go check that out. Uh, and it's we- us kind of trying to uh, learn or trying to make our own adventures, but they're much, <laughs> much more uh, Only much, much more low-key. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, hey, look at that. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so so check that out. We have a new episode, I think, he- hitting on Wednesday as of this recording. Uh, and it's, it's sort of our uh, college comedy uh, episode. So go check that out. And, uh, while you're checking things out, go to duelinggenre.com slash support, where you can go to our Patreon page and get all kinds of exclusive content for becoming a Patreon subscriber, like our not writing podcast, where Nick and I just talk about whatever movies or TV that we've been seeing, um, when we're procrastinating, when we should be writing. That's the one where uh, we curse. That's the one where we curse. Yes, exactly. And then of course, uh, Back to the Future Minute, No Roads Edition, the weekend edition of Back to the Future Minute, exclusive to Patreon, uh, where we talk about uh, Back to the Future related things. And uh, it's about an hour-ish. Uh, and we do that every weekend. So go check that out. And uh, special thanks to our Patreon associate producer, Leaper182. And we'll be back tomorrow. Bye. Bye. Bye.